Thanks for tuning in to your 9am. Here's the deal. Many of the uncomfortable situations that people go through at work are dealt with behind closed doors or never addressed at all. We think this is a problem primarily because we can't fix what we don't know. Adam and I don't have all the answers, but on this podcast, we share and discuss anonymous stories from every angle to help you deal with them when they come up where you work. Today, we're joined by Karen Fleshman, founder of Racy Conversations, an organization that hosts workplace workshops centered around helping people build relationships and trust across difference to address unconscious bias, microaggressions, sexual harassment, and allyship at work. Racy Conversations is on a mission to inspire the first anti-racist generation. And in fact, Karen has a book coming out called White Women, We Need to Talk, Doing Our Part to End Racism. Karen, Anna, and I actually all went to different colleges about a 20-minute drive from each other in Western Massachusetts. Karen went to Mount Holyoke, Anna went to Smith, and I went to Amherst. I guess you could say we all have that social movement bug as well. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, here's today's story. A few years ago, an outreach committee at my place of employment was looking to do a public presentation to the community to raise awareness for an important social issue. And they decided to use gun violence as their cause. Mind you, the community my company is located in has nearly 0% crime rate and is 99% white upper middle class citizens. I do not fall into that demographic. Their plan was to prominently display the names of victims of gun violence within the past three months outside of our building. They chose names from a predominantly black and poor community with a high poverty and crime rate a few counties over. I tried several times to express my concern that it would not be well received and that we would be inviting a PR nightmare upon ourselves. I was assured over and over that they knew what they were doing and to drop it. Within 24 hours of the display being put up, I received seven calls from different families of the gun victims that were beyond irate that their loved ones' names were on display. Two of the victims had even died within a week of it being put up. I was so ashamed and embarrassed. I did everything within my power to rectify the situation and fell over myself trying to make it up to the families. After spending an entire day on damage control, I contacted the committee, my supervisor, their supervisor, and other managers, and spelled out exactly what had happened. I expressed how insensitive and careless the whole effort was and went on a tirade about making me the contact person without my knowing or having any support. The response was, they just don't understand the good work we are trying to do, and sometimes when you do the right thing, people get angry. Those are direct quotes that I will never forget. I was so upset that I took two weeks off of work with no contact. I finally contacted my supervisor to say I would come back, but I would never participate in any similar event ever again and would do everything in my power to stop it if it happened again. Karen, what's your initial reaction here? When you sent me this story, like it just lit me. I I was like, oh my (laughs) God, this is like everything I'm passionate about rolled up in one story. And I want to give a big hug to the person whose story this is and just tell them you are not alone. What you experienced happens all the time. I'm really sorry this, this happened to you. And I hope that you find a place where you can be safe 
and valued. To me, this story is about how white people abuse our power and um, everything about it. Um, from the fact that let's start that they live in this all white community and there's a high poverty black community a few counties over. And all of that is very intentionally created, right? I'm sure these people are looking at uh, the, the high poverty black community and thinking that they are responsible for the gun violence that's happening in their in their community without ever taking into consideration how white people who live in upper middle class communities are responsible for the gun violence that occurs in high poverty communities of color why because we have through um racist housing policy zoning policy uh housing segregation, we have um, split communities and kept all the goodies and the nice stuff, the good schools, everything in our neighborhoods and very intentionally forced uh, people of color to live in, uh, in neighborhoods of concentrated poverty. And so really who's responsible for the gun violence that's occurring there? is not the people who are engaged in the gun violence. It is the white people who forced them to live that way. Yeah, I think that I, I appreciate you kind of laying out all of the policies behind uh, what, you know, what creates communities like this, especially ones that are so close to each other proximity wise. Um, and I think, you know, to your point too, of like not necessarily taking responsibility for creating this, um, this, scenario um, or environment that leads to these different communities and like the, the higher gun violence just being a couple of counties over. Um, I think the other thing to me was, you know, why did this company feel that they need to bring awareness to this issue in particular? Why? Like, that's my first question for, I, I think for this person who wrote the story and the company that, that had this campaign, like why this campaign? Uh, if it's not directly affecting your community, uh, you know, you're not going to take responsibility for it, but you're just going to put things on blast and not think through the whole picture, like how this is going to impact people's actual lives. I think that there is a whole bunch of missed opportunities here. Yeah, I would say to that, Anna, it's pretty clear to me what their motivation is, which is the motivation of a lot of white people who engage in activism is virtue signaling. Their motivation mm -hmm. is to say, oh, we're not like those other white people. We care about this. Uh, you know, we, we care. Um, but it's not really motivated. It's, it's like it's a very narcissistic motivation because ultimately they're not trying to solve the problem. Ultimately, they're trying to draw attention to themselves mm -hmm. as being good. Let's say that this company didn't want to virtue signal. What would they be? But they wanted to to do something to actually create change in their community. What would they do? What could they do differently? It is extremely important that white people pay attention to the challenges that people of color experience and get involved in solving those challenges. 
but only by centering the people who are experiencing the challenges and listening to what they need and want. So if if this company yes. really wanted to help, their first move should have been to contact the families of the people who had died through gun violence, express their condolences and said, we, uh, we humbly would like to help you in whatever way would be most helpful and meaningful to you. These are the different resources we have. We have this platform, we can publicize this, we can, um, you know, you tell us what, what would be most helpful to your family at this time, including if you would not like us to publicize this whatsoever, because you are going through your grief process and don't want this on blast right now, which is also totally legit. Uh, Sweetwater Nana, who's an incredible native Alaskan healer and organizer, she's the founder of um, I Don't Know More Washington. She teaches these fantastic workshops on decolonize your activism. And um, the, <laughs> the approach to activism always has to be that the people who are most impacted are the decision makers and set the strategy. And the white people are there as the supporters mm-hmm. and to protect, you know, because when when people of color engage in activism, they're often um, subjected to state violence and and they, you know, it, they can lose their lives, they can go to jail, like lots of terrible things can happen to them. So privileged people have to be the shield um but we don't set the we don't set the strategy we don't come up with the tactics we are there to support to give material support too because uh it takes a lot of money and time to do activism and people got to eat um and those types of things yeah i really like what you just said about the um centering the issue on you know the people that you're trying to help <laughs> It's the whole idea of allyship, right? Where it's not about you. It's not about making you feel better as the white savior. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, what does what does this community actually need? Mm-hmm. And um, taking, you know, I think you called this what this company did very narcissistic. And it's like flipping that around and making it, uh, making it so much more about like the other side that I, it so often gets lost. You know, I think we read stories like this all the time and it just makes me cringe. And you hear that from white people mm-hmm. across the board. Oh, look, you know, we tried to hire some people of color, but they didn't last here. We tried, you know, um, you know, they just weren't a culture fit. Instead of having the self-awareness to say, what is it in our attempt that caused these these folks to come into our workplace and turn around and leave. Let me ask, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Right? <laughs> uh, at, at my own risk, uh, feel free to judge. let's say that I am this, this white person or that it, that is on the leader, the, the outreach committee. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I think I have the best idea ever. And, you know, there's people that are saying that it's not a good idea, like this person in the story. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I just, I, it hasn't clicked with me that 
this is something that is about more than, you know, violence. It's, it's about race uh, and it's about class and it's about uh, place and the law and the way that people have been affected um, for centuries. Right. And I just want to go full throttle with it. Um, what's going to change my mind? This is exactly the challenge of our times is that white people lack the self-awareness that there is anything wrong with us. Everything in our society basically tells us that what we are doing is just fine from the, from the catalogs that arrive in our mailboxes, thick of pictures of white people living lives of prosperity and bliss to our relationships, you know, and I, I'm part of these too. I guess where I'm, I'm really kind of baffled is like, on the one hand, I want to say, okay, the, the person in this story, it's not your responsibility to educate everyone at your company, right? Yeah. And on the other hand- But they still did it. Like that's the thing that they were being brave and like right. putting themselves out there. Which is amazing. And I love that. But on the other hand, you know, I, what I'm kind of hearing from you two is that white people need to need to take the time to slow down and understand and, you know, center on black communities. And I'm like, okay, well, there's a disconnect here. What is really our incentive for change? I mean, what is going to, what, what good is going to happen if we do change? Uh, what pain will we experience if we don't change? Really very little. I mean, let's be honest. Um, you know what I'm saying now, the harm we are causing through our ignorance, tremendous, tremendous harm. We are literally killing people. I've spent the last five years basically <laughs> exhorting white people to change. How many have actually listened to me and changed? I don't know. Maybe 5%. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is fascinating. Definitely not the number that I was expecting here. That doesn't sound like great odds if you're uh, someone that kind of finds yourself in this position. But um, let, let's talk about this. I mean, what could someone in this position actually do here? Getting to know this leadership team on an individual level and seeing how some of them may have um, allyship in some other aspect of their life. Like maybe they have a spouse who's of a different race or they have a kid who's disabled or I don't know, they have some kind of connection. They're a veteran. They've had some kind of lived experience that has taught them in some way what it is like to be the other um, and then kind of use that to bridge the empathy yeah. gap. Um, that can be one strategy or maybe you have some affinity over something else. I mean, maybe you like playing basketball together. I don't know. There's something that you have in common and then using that to bridge and then saying, Hey, I really need to talk to you about this. Um, This is so important to me. And I know it can be a little difficult for people to understand. So let me try and break it down to you as simple as I can, because, uh, you know, well-intentioned people do not like to be told, you know, what you are doing is actually harmful. This person, the tokenized hire person, I think they need to, um, to 
to do it in a way that is not judgmental or not shamey and blamey, but really tries to help the person who's privileged to understand what it might be like to be the family member of one of these victims of gun violence. Even if it's like, have you ever watched The Wire? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Because unfortunately, (laughs) we have so little relationship across racial class um, divides. Um, so, so it can be really difficult for someone in a, in a, of a white privileged background to be able to even begin to comprehend what that is like. But, um, but maybe they've experienced some other loss. Maybe they've grieved a family member. Okay. Think, think back to that time when you grieved your family member, would you have liked a, um, you know, some company in a town a few counties over to put your family's name, your family member's name on blast at that time? Maybe that's a place to start. Yeah, that's powerful. But I would strongly suggest that this person look for another job because that is not a, that is not a safe environment for that person. Ada, what would you do? This sort of way that this company is going about it, and Karen, I think, honed in on it at the the beginning of our conversation, but there's no sort of, like, strategy or process here. They're just like, oh, we have this great idea, let's go do it. But what comes to mind for me is if, if, if if this person is able to sort of convince the committee or the, or the, the people in a leadership position that, you know, there needs to be more numbers or validation or, you know, in, instead of having the conversation about sort of um, and making it personal or having it about race, you can say like, look, I, you know, this effort sounds interesting, but I'm not sure that it's going to do anything. You could have that conversation or this, this effort sounds interesting, but we don't really have the numbers to kind of like support whether or not it's going to achieve what we hope that it's going to accomplish. And then you could at least get the company to do more sort of due diligence on what they're doing. It's like a, it's a weird way to get the company to, or I guess a roundabout way to convince the company to actually sort of center this on the people the that they're trying to help. Yeah. So what you're suggesting is that there should be a process in place to help. I mean, these types of I'm saying maybe, I'm shocked. maybe this person, maybe this person tries to, at that moment in time, create a process and pointing out all the things wrong with the current process. Yeah. Um, well, but I, I think that if that process isn't already in place, so you have to go back to what Karen was saying about, especially if this is, is a tokenized hire and you're feeling vulnerable in general, just because you're very alone, um, you might not feel comfortable pushing back yeah. on creating a process in the moment. So yeah. as a reaction to this situation, or prior to it even happening, having some some sort of check checkpoint along the way would make a lot of sense to me. But I think how you set that up is a, the question for me. Yeah, I mean, whether I'm thinking about like a nonprofit or a business or some sort of initiative that mm-hmm. um, you know they want to get accomplished, uh, I feel like there just has to be more sort of like research and accountability. Yeah. I think it's like. To, to make sure that these situations aren't happening or that like people recognize 
some pitfalls along the way because uh, we are at the end of the day all very self-absorbed and not able sometimes to see past our noses yes I there definitely needs to be accountability 